passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Happy to be with you once again. A bunch to get into here on the latest episode. There hasn't been an episode lately where there isn't a bunch to discuss. We'll have Tyler Calvaruso on in just a moment to break down the latest in Nittany Lions recruiting. A big pickup on Wednesday afternoon for Penn State at the receiver position with Tizier Denmark at Philadelphia standout coming on board. That actually happened during a Nittany Lions camp that we were covering at Penn State team facilities. We'll talk about takeaways from that camp, some new offers. There were committed players involved there as well. We're also going to get into a preview of the first matchup for Penn State in the 2023 schedule. September 2nd, West Virginia comes to town for a primetime showdown on NBC. Many believe this could be the launch pad moment for Penn State's special season in 2023. A lot of opportunity there. Of course, the Mountaineers have expectations of their own coming off of a losing season under Neil Brown, who faces a lot of pressure in year five with that program. We're going to get a lot more information on what West Virginia is right now ahead of their preseason camp. Storylines to know players to know also some players with Penn State connections that we're going to get updates on all from one of our 24-7 sports West Virginia insiders here a little bit later in the episode but we begin with recruiting as the main dish here on the podcast as it has been for some time and Tyler Calvaruso we had a wonderful time chatting on the last episode you followed up uh, Luke Reynolds who joined us the top 100 overall tight end prospect we had a great conversation with him but as we alluded to the Tysier Denmark uh, commitment was incoming it arrived on, on Wednesday, and Marcus Higgins is on the board as Penn State's receivers coach in the 2024 cycle. He is, and, you know, odds are here soon he, you, he won't just be Denmark as Higgins' only success story in this class. Things are trending pretty well for him. And, yeah, you know, this is one we saw coming pretty much since last weekend once Denmark made it to campus. All the effort that Penn State put in behind the scenes with Tyser Denmark, just it continued to pay off. And this was kind of, you know, culminated in a perfect storm for Penn State with him getting on campus for the official visit, backing off that Oregon commitment, and then popping for Penn State on Wednesday. So Marcus Higgins on the board, looking like there's some more good news to come on that front sooner rather than later. But, I mean, you can't really sell short this get 
for Penn State, Tyser Denmark. He's uh he, he's electric. I mean, we've seen him in person in a seven on seven setting, and he was lighting it up. You know, his junior year tape is pretty impressive. Throwing about almost a thousand receiving yards, double digit touchdowns, more than fifty catches. So it's not just a seven on seven player. He's getting it done in the pads as well, and obviously a Philly kid. So it's a big get in a lot of ways for Penn State, and they're excited to have him on board and keep the ball rolling at receiver. Yeah, I, I took a little bit of time on, on Wednesday evening just to look back through some of my notes from that uh, seven-on-seven tournament and also some of the video I, I put out there on social media and reminded me that James Franklin for much of that afternoon, Tyler Caparuso, was parked in a uh, in his golf cart within yards of whatever field Tysir Denmark and Roman Catholic were occupying. Of course, his teammate on that Roman Catholic squad is now a Nittany Lions freshman defensive lineman, Jameel Lyons. So continuing some momentum with a, a program that's always going to have power five talent there in Philadelphia. And I think that really the interesting thing here with Denmark, although uh, it was it was you know quite the the, the road to get here. You go through a, a Pac-12 commitment, you, a lot of other visits, and you still got to get to the finish line with him in December. But for this to come to fruition, him be, to be that first wide receiver pickup, I mean, I think he's an impact guy in the slot year one, potentially. Yeah. I, we, we've got a lot to learn about him. But in terms of there's just certain players that you watch at the high school level and he's one of them that you just say, he seems like it's going to be a pretty seamless transition for this guy to the slot position at the college level. And I think he's going to have a chance to come on campus. I have no idea what that position is going to look like by the time he's around. we got a lot of unknown commodities there and a lot of young players. But Tysir Denmark, to me, and I'm going to have to have a strong disagreement with our 24-7 sports rating on him right now. It's down to a three-star. He's a composite four-star. Our guys do fantastic work in the rankings council. And I don't poke holes. In, and, and, and it's really hard to poke holes in what they do. But I'm going to have to push back against it a little bit here. From what I've gathered, I think Denmark's a four-star talent. I know that, that there's a lot up for debate in that with our rankings council right now. And not everybody was necessarily on board with the demotion from four-star to three-star. But I think he's a blue-chip prospect. And, and I, we'll see if it sorts out that way in our ratings. Uh, but right now, he's there in the composite. And I know the Penn State staff feels that way about him. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, to be completely honest. I think uh, I think he's a little bit better and has a little bit higher of a ceiling than our rankings right now might indicate. And, you know, you got to keep in mind with the way we do our rankings here, you know, some of it is projection to the next level beyond college as well. It's projection to the NFL as well. So that's also taken into account. But, I mean, just based on what I've seen off Denmark, and like you said, I, him in the slot, that's a perfect fit. Penn State has prioritized him as such. That's been the pitch to him throughout you can come play in the slot, make an impact on the inside. That's something that he's really liked to hear from Marcus Higgins and the staff. I, I think uh, I think he's one of the more maybe, you know, higher ceiling wide receivers Penn State has landed recently. I think Denmark definitely has that kind of potential. We'll see where he lands in the rankings. I mean, at the end of the day, where he is on the board for Penn State, it kind of speaks to the staff's evaluation and how highly it views him and Bottom line, they're excited with the get, they're excited with the potential, and they're looking forward to seeing what kind of strides Denmark can make during his senior year. He was very productive as a junior, as I touched on, as a senior year, as a senior standout potentially because Samaj Beals is going to be seasoned under center for Roman Catholic. He's going to be a sophomore quarterback, and he has an offer from Penn State. He's going to have another year of experience under his belt, so I'm pretty excited to see what those two can accomplish together. I think mm -hmm. this year might be in for a really big senior year. 
Yeah, I don't think he's far off from from just a guy like Keandre Lambert Smith, for example, as in terms of a, a prospect profile coming out of the high school level. Um, and and I believe uh, that that Keandre Lambert Smith was just inside the top 200 overall rankings. And when he came out in that 2020 class, we've seen him become a three year starter here for Penn State. He looks like he's going to be the number one guy here in year four. Um, so we'll see how it works out for Denmark, as you said. Company is anticipated in that receiver group. It ends soon. Uh, Friday is the decision date. It's, we're recording here uh, around noon on Thursday. Um, so we're going to get another commitment coming, uh, announcement coming here from Peter Gonzalez. And we know where the crystal ball has been pointing. Virginia Tech got their opportunity to host him for an official visit. Unfortunately for them, that was sandwiched in between two trips to Happy Valley, one for a camp that went exceedingly well for him and the staff and Hagens and Franklin and everyone involved with the parents. And then of course, a return trip last weekend for an official visit. So as we pr uh, push our way towards this announcement, where do you think things stand Tyler Calvaruso? Because uh, there doesn't seem to be a ton of drama swirling here, unless Brent pride, Tyler Bowen can make a late push. No, I think this is going to be a, a drama free decision for Peter Gonzalez. We've been saying it for weeks now, it, you know, it's kind of clear where this one is heading. You know, he makes it to Penn State for that camp during the first weekend of June, and things went so swimmingly. He gets the official visit. He had the official visit locked in beforehand, and then, you know, makes it back to campus. Things went really well. He was made to feel like a priority, which he has been for a while now. You know, there was a time where there were questions about where Gonzalez was at on the wide receiver board, and as the months went on, really after Gonzalez went through a strong spring and ran with it really well and tested really well and posted some good track times, you know, the intrigue heightened, and it became very clear that Penn State wanted him. And, you know, really from conversations we've had, with Gonzalez, he holds Penn State in a very, very high regard. You know, there's really no debate. I think Virginia Tech has done a very good job recruiting Gonzalez. It's something that I've said multiple times. I think you got to give that staff credit for all that it has done with him. But I feel that when it comes time for Gonzalez to announce tomorrow night, Penn State's going to be tough to beat. I'm, I don't have a crystal ball pick in. I feel like we're kind of at the point where adding one. It is what it is. We've been relaying the information for a while now. I like where Penn State stands ahead of this announcement. I expect them to be lines to get this one done, but we'll see what Pete has to say tomorrow night. Yeah, we'll, we'll have coverage of that announcement and whatever comes of that, what it means for this Penn State recruiting class. Uh, Miami was a team in the mix for a while. He's the son of a former Pitt standout. Uh, but right now, as we said, Penn State, Virginia Tech have been at the center of this recruitment moving ahead. Uh, Nittany Lions looking to build on that wide receiver group. We saw Alex Taylor, a top 24-7 wide receiver, uh, roaming around Penn State practice facilities with James Franklin uh, for part of uh, camp uh, action on Wednesday, uh, wrapping up his official visit. I, I don't think you've gotten to the point where you have any concrete intel about how that uh, stay went for him during his midweek official visit if you do feel free to share but where else are we looking at wide receiver before we turn the page to our next topic yeah taylor's official wrapped about we're recording what like you said noon so his official wrapped about an hour ago we'll have some feedback <laughs> at some point for sure but as of right now i think he's more focused on heading home getting back to north carolina and then uh Looking to see what came out of this Penn State official visit. You know, Taylor's not really a guy we've discussed a whole lot really until probably this month, I would say, because there were questions about whether he would wind up making it to Penn State for an official. Obviously, he did. Now that's in the books, it's time to see what comes of it. Beyond him at wide receiver and beyond Tysier and Pierre Gonzalez at this point, Josiah Brown is the name to know, the top 24-7 athlete from New York. He was on campus for his official visit at the same time as Denmark and Gonzalez, and things went really, really well. Crystal Ball reads 100% in favor of the Nittany Lions right now. 
he's not going to be making it to Georgia for an official visit this weekend, which is pretty big. I think uh, I, I've always got the feeling that Rutgers was more of a serious player for Brown than Georgia, given uh, some proximity things that I've heard, you know, I think Brown has a desire to play a little bit closer to home and Penn State's going to afford him that opportunity if, it cho- if he chooses the Nittany Lions. So we're liking the way that way is heading right now. And beyond him, a couple names, you know, Nick Marsh, you know, he's going to be at Michigan State for his official visit this weekend. And that's a visit we've had circled on the calendar. It's an important one in his recruitment. You got to remember, he was committed to the Spartans for a while backed off that commitment, kind of, you know, wanted to hit the open market, reevaluate his options. He's been to Penn State this month. He's been to Kansas this month. He's been to Pittsburgh this month. This Michigan State visit this weekend, it's a huge one. But we've been hearing more about Pittsburgh this week as a potential player, as a wild card, as a legitimate contender in this recruitment. So I definitely keep an eye on Pittsburgh at this point. I don't think Penn State's the only uh, Pennsylvania program seriously involved with the top 24-7 wideout for Michigan. I still, My gut feeling is still that it's going to come down to Penn State and Michigan State. At the end of the day, I feel like that's going to be the two schools that he zones in on at the end when it comes time for him to make a decision. But Pittsburgh's definitely involved, and Kansas is involved as well. Kansas got him on campus, and it feels pretty good about what he has accomplished with Nick Marsh. So I guess you got to keep an eye on the Jayhawks as well. He can't write Pitt and Kansas off as of yet. Jare Hawkins, top 24-7 wide off from IMG Academy. He's going to be on campus this weekend. It seems like the conversations inside of last year are leaning more towards him being a take at this point in time, which – You know, it's always been a little bit split, just given Hawkins' stature, you know, size concerns. There's no debating his speed. I mean, his testing numbers speak for themselves. His 40 that we watched him run last summer, I mean, it was ridiculous. He's a blazer. There's no doubt about that. But it seems like right now Penn State will welcome Hawkins into the class. I've Right now, I've still been led to believe that Penn State holds a slight edge over Florida for Hawkins, but, I mean, Florida has really, really closed that gap during official visit season, really the weeks and months leading up to official visit season as well. Florida did a really good job of closing the gap. So right now, I would give Penn State a slight edge, and if it does have to you know, overcome Florida while Hawkins is on campus this weekend, I don't think that's something that is insurmountable. You know, I think Penn State has put in enough good work with Hawkins. I think his relationship is not a good enough place with Marcus Higgins, where if there is a deficit that it has to overcome, it's something that the staff can handle. And we got to touch on Chance Robinson as well. You know, top 24-7 Miami commit. He's going to be in Coral Gables for his official visit with the Canes this weekend. And really for that staff down there, it's all about keeping them on board because Florida and Penn State have been coming hard. I still would say that if Robinson is going to make a move, I think Florida is more likely than Penn State on the flip front right now. But Penn State is still very much right there for the St. Thomas Aquinas standout. So that's really all at wide receiver right now. Jalen Hornsby looks like he's going to be heading to Texas A&M. So I'd probably write that one off at this point. And, you know, there's always a potential for some late bloomers as well. But right now, that's pretty much the state of Penn State's wide receiver board. Tremendous breakdown there, Mr. Calvaruso, in terms of a, a constantly evolving wide receiver yes. board here. And it's yes. pretty remarkable that this could go from a circumstance where, hey, where's that first commit at the position to, and maybe within a few weeks, oh my gosh, is there room for another wide receiver in this mm-hmm. class? I mean, that's where you're looking at that kind of explosion potential within this position group. As we've already discussed, you may be uh, at a duo by the time you get to the weekend and, and building off of that as official visits wrap up here in the month of June and players start to really sit down and decide what they want to do 
with their college plans. Let's shift over to defense and get back to crystal balls, which was a big subject for us on the last episode of this podcast because they've been flying around at 24-7 sports in favor of the Nittany Lions. A couple really interesting ones popped up here on Thursday from Brian Doan, our close friend and national analyst, both impacting the defensive line where, as we've said, Deion Barnes feels like he's about to be go for launch with this recruiting cycle. You know, two picks that I've been pondering myself as well. You got one for the top 24-7 defensive lineman, Benedict Dume from Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. And you got another for an in-state target, David Polly So I'm right on track with Brian with those picks. I think uh, Penn State is definitely trending in the right direction with both of them. Ume got him on, on campus last weekend for his official visit. And the goal for the Penn State staff really was to sell the high level of football and also be able to reel in a high-level degree and get a high level of education in State College. I think that was a pitch that really resonated with Ume and his family. He's going to be at Stanford this weekend for an official visit. And it's definitely one. I've been saying it, it's definitely one to keep an eye on, given his emphasis on academics and his recruitment. But I think Penn State has pitched well enough with Ume to be his pretty clear leader at this point in time. I'm not sure it's something that Stanford could overcome. And then with Polly Polly, it's definitely flipped from Michigan to Penn State at this point. Penn State is definitely his leader right now. He's going to be at USC this weekend, so I'm going to be holding off on flipping my crystal ball prediction because I do want to see how that visit does play out. You know, like I mentioned, I believe I believe I mentioned it on Tuesday. I'm pretty sure I did. You know, getting out to USC, West Coast program, there's some Polynesian influence there. So I think that's definitely something to watch. You know, once Poly Poly gets around that, how does he respond? How does he feel in Southern California? But I think uh, I think we're kind of at the point where with Poly Poly announcing his decision on July 1st, I think Penn State's in the lead. And it would take, um, I don't want to say a big effort, from USC to kind of turn the tide, but I think something pretty significant would have to happen during his official visit for him to change his line of thinking, given the fact that proximity, location, close to home, those are factors weighing on Polly Polly's mind as he comes to a decision. And I think Penn State has really surged ahead for all three of those reasons, plus the things that Deion Barnes has done, you know, emphasizing Polly Polly and prioritizing him more recently and making him feel comfortable and the Polly Polly family feel comfortable at Penn State. Those were things that Penn State really shored up while he was on campus for his official visit during the first weekend of June. So Nittany Lions are definitely trending for those two. We might see some picks on my end soon. You know, I got some things to sort out, but as it stands right now, Ume and Polly Polly definitely names to keep an eye on as the defensive line class fills out. Oh, you're such a tease with those crystal balls, Tyler. <laughs> and, and and Xavier Gilliam kicked off this defensive line class, uh, the first official visit weekend of June. And and as we said, wide receiver feels like this is really the area of focus. It's been that way for a couple of weeks. We've talked about it and now building the momentum that we've now seen an impact at wide receiver with a tangible result in the form of a commitment. Stay tuned here in the next, what, remaining eight, nine days of June. And we'll take a look at those uh, positions once again and reevaluate. Let's get into some camp takeaways. We were back out on the field. Uh, you were you did not join us on Wednesday. You were in New Jersey. You will join us this Friday for the yep. next seven-on-seven seven tournament, the Big Man Challenge. And you will join us on the field on Saturday for Penn State's whiteout camp, which is really an exciting one and a great way to finish off our June camp coverage here. But we were there for the first midweek camp of this summer on Wednesday afternoon and really turned out to be a solid showing, a solid event for us uh, because three commitments were on campus. There were a few offers that came out of this, some young talent to, to, to watch along the way. And for me, the focus was really on the running back spot. We don't always say that in the camp setting because running backs – 
just not as exciting to watch them. And a lot of the, you know, they don't get as much one-on-one involvement. A lot of the, a lot of the ball security drill and, and how to hold the football. And it's just not necessarily as much stuff that shows up on a video highlight reel. But there was reason to keep your eyes on that group on Wednesday because you had Corey Smith, you had Quinton Martin, both of them committed to the 2024 class. Quinton Martin's a top 50 prospect, the number one player in the state of Pennsylvania. And then Corey Smith uh, out of Wisconsin, four-star player, uh, committed back in the spring. So, Tyler, not only did we get a chance to see these guys work with Jaywan Sider, we got a chance to see them just work against some overwhelmed defenders. And and the talent was on display from the time they started testing. Uh, we saw Corey Smith go uh, in the 4-4 range in the 40-yard dash. Quentin Martin followed with a 4-5 range 40-yard dash. I thought Martin looked extra springy out there in the triple broad jump where he went 31 feet. And, and so you start to put those prospect profiles together from an athletic uh, standpoint and Corey Smith looks like a running back uh, typically what you see at a high school running back not necessarily as filled out as as Quentin Nelson by any means but he brings a lot of more power than I thought you can see it in the way he, he's a lean forward kind of runner but Quentin Martin is the kind of guy you walk away and say you could probably find five or six spots on the field for him within a power five football program obviously running back is one of them I think you could find find a few of them in the the second uh, in the back end of a defense, probably all the way up to linebacker as this kid continues to grow out. Based on what I saw of his pass catching, he may have been the best receiver in attendance when he started playing receiver and running some routes late in the day. But I'll tell you what, Quentin Martin has every bit of striking distance to get inside that five-star territory, become that next five-star running back to end up with the Nittany Lions. And based on what I saw Wednesday, He's going to warrant some consideration for that if he follows this summer up with a big senior season. You know, what you guys saw yesterday with those guys splitting out wide and taking one-on-one reps, that's what happens when you have a pair of running back commits in your class who have versatility to their game and have good hands and can add different elements to your offense. I mean, especially with – you've already – you laid it out perfectly with Quentin Moore and how his ability to play multiple positions. He would be a high-impact player at a multitude of positions at the Power 5. Hey, can I say this? Can I say yeah. this? If, if, if they were being completely transparent, and they probably are it, 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 behind closed doors – there would be some serious debating going on among Penn State staff members about where he belongs and why he should be in my room and why he shouldn't be in your room. And, you know, but that's that's the fun of this kid, because not a lot of those guys show up in every cycle. No. And not only do they not only show up in every cycle, they show up in your state in this situation. You get to keep the best player in Pennsylvania home. So that's why this Penn State staff prioritized Quentin Martin as its top target really throughout the twenty. Back before the 2024 cycle was even the main focus, you know, that's how high Quentin Martin has been on the board for so long. And Corey Smith's used to splitting out wide and doing the kind of stuff that he was doing on Wednesday. That's just how his Catholic Memorial team uses him. Yeah, he gets a lot of touches out of the backfield at the high school level, but he splits out wide. He lines up in the slot. Sometimes they run more jet sweeps. He runs routes as well. And that's why Penn State is so excited about getting him on board. You know, his ability to catch passes out of the backfield, showcase his hands, maybe split out, add something as a slot guy if needed in certain sets in Mike Gertz's offense. So those two doing what they do did and accomplishing what they accomplished yesterday, not only testing-wise, I knew those guys were going to test well. That's just what they are as top-tier guys with athletic profiles that project really well to the next level. It's just, you know, I was expecting what happened. Those guys, they've got good hands, man. They're definitely a bunch of high upside guys. And as we were referencing uh, on our live updates over at the the board for our VIP subscribers throughout Wednesday afternoon, um, Jaywan Slater pulled them both away from the running back pack for you know 10, 15 minutes of just just the three of them, you know, fixated on work. 
Uh, Penn State staff was certainly tries to make the most of, of getting these guys on campus. They were able to do that with a couple of teammates, and I think all three of them, Slater, uh, Smith, and Martin, left campus, uh, you know, left that event yesterday feeling fired up about what awaits them in 2024. J1 Slater has done a lot of good things with two back classes, of course, most notably uh, Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton, what they did last year. Um, another commitment that was on campus, we go to the 2025 class, Omari Gaines, a defensive back, hopped on board uh, as a high school sophomore. Um, and, and and look, we've talked about it. You, you can you look at the length, you look at the athletic pieces here, and you can project where he could be at 20 years old. But right now, I think he's a work in progress. I think it's fair to say that uh, as a defensive back right now, got to work on some ball skills. I think you saw too many balls hit the turf uh, yesterday, and, and and I think the coaching staff uh, took note of that as well. He had some side conversations with, with guys like Terry Smith, Anthony Poindexter, just about technique. He looks like he's still thinking a little bit through the process out there as he works his way. Moving better than he did last summer, though. He, he, I think he's built up that speed. He's made it an emphasis, but there, there's more to go in that department as well for Omari Gaines. You know, I'm not exactly sure how he fits in at, at, at within a, a defense like Penn State's two or three years down the line. He's only halfway through high school, and, and, and we've got a lot to figure out about Omari Gaines, who comes from a football-rich family in New Jersey. Um, but, but Tyler, I, I'm just wondering what you make of Gaines at this stage of his development. Well, he tested a lot better than he has in the past, so that's a plus for Penn State. You know, he ran better in the 40. I believe he was around 4-7 range is what we were hearing, and that's better than what it has been in the past. So that's a plus. It, 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 kind, of, uh, it kind of goes back to what I said when Omar Gaines first committed, I definitely think he still has some developing to do, and I think he's got a chance to get there. I think getting him in these camp settings for the Penn State staff, the more that he's around the staff and the more that he's able to put in work with guys like Terry Smith and Anthony Point, they should just really fine-tune his game. I think it'll play it will, uh, it'll play for him in the long run. I think it's definitely something that it will benefit his development. So, But there were definitely uh, the testing numbers are definitely a little bit more encouraging than they have been in the past. So that's good news for Gaines. You know, he, I think he still needs to refine his technique in a lot of ways in the 40, you know, just as a defensive back. But the hope is that he'll get there. And like I said, the more work that he puts in, if there's one thing about Amar Gaines, he works his butt off. So he's going to definitely put in the work to become the best player and you know prospect that he can be. So that's uh, that's always a good trait to have out of a youngster. And uh, I think the Penn State staff, you know, getting him on, back on campus is a big deal. You get the chance to put more work on him, give him some advice, send him on the right path as he heads back to Jersey to get ready for his junior season at uh, Shabazz High in Newark. I think uh, I think he'll be looking to accomplish a lot at that public school program, and I think it'll be good for his development. He can focus on really fine-tuning and detailing a lot of his game. Yeah, and, and he did seem to take coaching well. Uh, again, a lot of conversations out there. He was toward the front of the line, if not at the front of the line, in those defensive back drills uh, throughout the afternoon. And this is a guy that, I mean, where is he going to be next summer when he comes back to campus? He could be 6'3", 185 pounds by exactly. then. I, I'm really interested in, in where he is going to go uh, from this point forward within this Penn State's class of 2025. Uh, I thought the best defensive back overall in the afternoon was Elbert Hill, who is just a rising sophomore at Archbishop Hoban uh, High School out in Akron, Ohio. Uh, the Power Five offers are coming for him in a big way. Ohio State's already on board. You've got Miami on board. And now Penn State has joined the party after this camp appearance. I'll tell you what, he was tremendous. Uh, he flashed the speed in the 40-yard dash going 4-5 range. He's got some burgeoning physicality. Uh, this is a guy who's already you know pushing around five foot eleven as a rising sophomore. So I think you start to put the pieces together here. And I know we don't have ratings out for that 2026 class down the board yet, but I'm imagining a top 100 prospect profile type of player here in Elbert Hill, who just went out there and 
allowed very little separation in one-on-one drills and roamed around the field like he was a seasoned high school senior uh, and confident leading those drills as a guy who's only got one season of high school under his belt. So when you're doing that in front of a Power 5 staff, you have my attention. And I just want to finish off with a couple more offers before we get to our next guest, uh, Tyler Calvaruso. Uh, Texas wide receiver Kelshawn Johnson comes up, puts on a show, gets an offer. And also, this is cr- this is like sounds crazy, but it's not that crazy anymore in college football recruiting. 2028 quarterback Chris Vargas no, is it's on the crazy. board for Pitts to Wild. So three three offers there to kind of dissect for you. I know you'll have more at lines247.com. Before we wrap up, what do you make of those? I mean – that's just hearing 2028 20, again just threw me. It's like, oh my God, 2028. Jeez, man. Well, we'll see where that kid's at in his development a few years down the road. It's definitely uh it's definitely an intriguing offer because you know, given my time covering Boston College, I still talk to some people up in Massachusetts and New England, and uh they're pretty excited about Vargas' potential. I think he could definitely be a guy. And St. John's prep has produced some high-level talent before. We just saw Jamel Aguero go off to Georgia a couple – it was either a couple cycles ago or last cycle. I don't even remember at this point. I believe it was a couple cycles ago. He was a high-level recruit coming out of St. John's Prep in Massachusetts. So Vargas will definitely be a name to keep an eye on, and uh, we'll see what other offers roll in for him. You know, I'd expect a lot of regional schools to uh, sniff around and uh, display some interest. And then the 2025s and the 2026s who were on campus yesterday, I mean, starting with, man, the Texas wideouts that were in town, talk about speed. I mean, those guys can run. And there's no Their coach down. was letting us know about it too. He, he was bragging about, about his guys out there. They came up and they ran well. Those guys tested so well. And it is absolutely no surprise to me that they have offers from Penn State at this point in their recruitment. And those offer lists, they're going to keep growing. So there's going to be a lot of competition for those two. And then with Hill, you mentioned, you know, him looking, him looking, excuse me, like a seasoned veteran out there. He's got the offer list of a seasoned veteran. I mean, Penn State's in now. Got Ohio State, Michigan, a bunch of others on there. He's going to be a high-level recruit. I, I agree that he's definitely got a chance to be a top 100 guy. He's definitely going to be a top 24-7 guy, I feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go, if you go watch his tape from his early stages of his high school career, it, it stands out. He does not look like a 2026 prospect. He is advanced at this point in his development. So it is absolutely no surprise that Penn State offered yesterday. They're going to try and push there for sure. It's still very early, but he comes from a high school. Penn State has recruited plenty of before Archbishop Poban. So there are relationships in place there, and that could help Penn State. I know Hill has mentioned that he's very high on Ohio State early in his recruitment, which you know isn't really a complete stunner, a kid from Ohio. Not ideal, right, yeah. Guys at this point in his recruitment. But Hill, you know, based on the testing numbers and the video that I got to see out of yesterday's game, I think he was probably – other than Corey Smith and Quentin Martin, I think he's probably the best player there, to be completely honest. I w- I'm with you. And, I mean, it's hard for me to say that because I, I try to keep an eye on one part of the field. Daniel's mm-hmm. watching another. Mark Brennan's watching another. We'll have you watching another segment of the field Friday and Saturday oh, for yeah. these camps. But based on who I saw, those were the three who stood out, the two running backs, and then this rising sophomore from Ohio, which says a lot about what he did on campus. Appreciate the coverage, Tyler Calvaruso. We have a full photo gallery from the Wednesday Penn State prospect camp. We saw an old friend back in town, former Penn State offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead. His son, Donovan, is a 2026 quarter back recruit he was on campus throwing the ball around so uh, he's part of those photos you see the commits working with jay Sider and a lot more vip notebook uh, from that recruiting camp as well tyler we'll see you here on campus soon we've got commits swirling uh we've got official visits back in town so hopefully everyone knows where to find you at lions247.com i'm excited man it's gonna be a good weekend I'm looking forward to it we'll be right back on the lions 24 7 podcast 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. From what's right in front of us right now with Penn State recruiting to what's coming a little bit further down the road, this highly anticipated 2023 Nittany Lions season will start September 2nd in Beaver Stadium, primetime night matchup on NBC against the West Virginia Mountaineers. And I thought it was a good time to start really turning our attention toward that matchup as we're now just about five weeks or so away from preseason camps opening across college football. And to get a better look at these Mountaineers, we bring in Mike Kazaza, Mike and I knew I was going to butcher uh, stumble on your last name, I apologize, uh, from our West Virginia site. Uh, Mike Kazaza, really appreciate your time. I know you know these West Virginia Mountaineers like the back of your hand, so we're really uh, fortunate to have you. And I think our listeners will benefit from an early look toward that September 2nd matchup. Thanks, man. You, you fumbled the snap, but you completed the pass. So don't worry about it. Actually, Beautiful. That's, that's a lot better than what first timers typically do. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fine. How are you doing, man? All right, we're doing great. We just came off of a half hour conversation on on the recruiting whirlwind that is June and in, in college football right now. And I know that you are dealing with a lot of Bob Huggins conversation down there. So appreciate you shifting gears and diving into some football talk with us. It's a it's a welcome respite right now. I could use a uh, I could use a detour for sure. I thought it might be. So, hey, I want to get into Neil Brown, speaking of coaches, uh, under some scrutiny because year five now, three losing seasons through four campaigns with the Mountaineers. Tell me what the blueprint looks like for Neil Brown to gain job security at West Virginia coming out of 2023. Well, a win in Happy Valley would certainly do a lot. Um, I would think even being competitive would, I mean, it's not going to make things better, but that's going to be, useful because the the collective handwringing here right now is that here's a point spread that opened at like two touchdowns grew to 17 i think it's 20 points right now so is this team getting worse before it even gets in the field like how is this happening especially as they seem to do an adequate job maybe even an effective job with the transfer portal they really had to reinvent their secondary and maybe their defensive front too and they've, they've kind of done that so you think maybe it's getting better but since the spring um even with the roster improvements it seems like that the Luster has faded even a little bit more. So the plan then would be just to simply figure out what went wrong on defense last year. I think we'll get into some of that with the personnel you want to talk about um, and fix those things. It might, be, it might mean simply being simpler in some of your calls and, and demands and assignments and just being better at that. Um, but they're going to actually have to have offense. And that's been kind of an issue for them for a while. And they've been air raids since Dana Holgerson got here. And what has it gotten them? Nothing. One ten win season since they hit the Big 12. and a situation now where entering a fifth year, you have a huge question mark for the future of the program and the head coach, and they're going to shift it. They're going to use a lot of running backs. They're going to have a dual threat quarterback. And, you know, it's hard to use the past in the present. But when you think about West Virginia, you think about backfields of Pat White, Steve Slate, and Pat White, Steve Slate, and Noel Devine. 
Pat White, Steve Slayton, Noel Devine, Owen Schmidt. And, and you see where I'm going here. And it worked before. And this is a place that sometimes has to zag when everybody else is zigging so they could be effective. And, you know, the zone read back then, that was new. That was weird. It was kind of wild and wonderful for West Virginia. Um, people caught up. A lot of people do it. It's not the same thing anymore. But West Virginia blended in with the air raid, and they just never had the personnel on the sideline or on the field to be truly unique with rare exceptions with you know Will Greer, David Sills, Gary Jennings, Trayvon Wesco. It's a pretty good list of players there. It's hard to get them all in one situation. They don't really have that. And they tried last year with their quarterback. They thought they figured that out with JT Daniels. It didn't work. And by the end of the season, they realized their future, their strength was a mobile dual threat quarterback. They have two um, running backs. They have several. And I think that they're going to really lean into being a run team, being a team that, you know, maybe just covers for its defense, keep them on the sideline, keep the demands low for the defense. You don't have to get into shootouts. You don't have to score a touchdown on defense. Um, and if they can be effective on offense, show progress, obviously win more than they lose, then that's going to go a long way toward restoring Brown's future. You brought up some names there that, that always stand out to me. Steve Slayton, Pat White, Noel Devine. As somebody who was with a Big East football program in 2006, 2007, 2008, those, right. guys, gave, those guys provided fits, frustrations. And it is remarkable how much the dynamics have just shifted. It, it's mm -hmm. It's not recognizable, and that was West Virginia's brand. I mean, that was that was what you thought of. Uh, so let's talk about last year. Can, I, I'm not asking for a, a full autopsy, but if you can give us kind of the summary of how they ended up at five and seven, and how they ended up deciding that Neil Brown needed to stay on campus. Can't really explain the last one. Um, okay, I uh, I kind of wrote at the end of the year they 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 taken some really bad losses and the the style of play was poor. The margin of victory was significant. And it just looked like a program that had, it, listen, it wasn't waving the right flag, the white flag, but it was, it was hooking it up to the flagpole. And you just wondered, is this going to happen? And, and more so when is it going to happen? And and what I kind of thought to be true, and I think this is sometimes true in college athletics is that sometimes schools are, are reluctant to make a change until the head coach leaves you with no choice. And when a guy like Neil Brown, who everybody really likes, does things the right way, has all the stuff. Like he, he comes from like central casting, so to speak, especially at West Virginia. He has some Appalachian roots. He fits in here. Um, and again, it was like a sliced bread hire. Everybody was really happy or surprised that West Virginia got Neil Brown. So what happened? Who knows? It just didn't work. But to get a guy like that here, to be celebrated for the hire and to think it's going to work, and then to really like him and his methods and his ideas and explanations, it's hard to fire him. But all of a sudden, when, when the guy makes the hard part easy, you can you can part ways. They didn't. They instead fired the athletic director who hired and extended Neil Brown. And then you're thinking, OK, you know, that's that's the wagon. Horse in front of the wagon. Did they get this right? Did they get this wrong? And then by the time they hired an athletic director, I think they were in the impression that maybe it's too late to get a head coach. They, they hired Neil Brown in January. They were in November looking for what to do with an AD. So that didn't really make a lot of sense. But I think that the AD came in and just said, let me see for a year. Can I support this guy? Can I get him back to where he was a couple of years ago? And maybe onward and upward in a new Big East without Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe it's easier. Um, so I think like the future didn't seem so bad. And by the way, like $16 million to fire the guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a difficult thing. Maybe should have led with that one. Very the lead there. Um, <laughs> but what went wrong? The quarterback thing didn't work. Um, they had a new offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell. They had JT Daniels, and you figure that's a good combination. JT had a couple really good games and then plateaued and then really regressed and declined. And he's at Rice now. He got replaced by, you know, uh, at, at the time, a guy who was a redshirt soft 
oh boy, Garrett Green. I forget what year he is. He's been here a while now, and I can't count with all the eligibility things these days. But hear that uh, he'd been here for a while, hadn't really played. He's a dual threat guy that all of a sudden this team that looked like it was quitting. They beat Oklahoma for the first time ever in the Big 12. They beat Oklahoma State, which had won seven straight in the series. And you're thinking, maybe they have this figured out. So I think the fact that they were able to pull it together, that helped Brown. But to get in that situation, they just made a comedy. They had a comedy of errors and routinely, you know, um, not going for it on fourth and inches at Pitt. In hindsight, it seemed like a terrible decision. In the moment, it seemed like it'd be a good thing to go and, and grab the season right away in the first game. Didn't do it. Uh, they would pick six in overtime against Kansas, but that was followed by a really bad destructive penalty procedure by the defense that gave Kansas life, let them complete a comeback. Um, and then no showed a couple of games where they're not good enough to come back, you know, to spot Texas, like a, a multi-score lead, to spot Texas Tech, a multi-score lead. They weren't good in the road. Um, they had some injuries, but they were so deficient on defense, small, light, not strong enough, not big enough. They, they got exposed a lot on defense. And here we are. I'm rambling on offense and defense, but that's the extent of the list about what went wrong and why they were five and seven. Well, Neil Brown obviously knows he had some personnel deficiencies to address, I'd imagine, as well. So where do those things come on? Let's start defense because you keep hammering home. Uh, and and we think Penn State's going to have a, a really dynamic offense up here waiting for them on September 2nd. So from a personnel standpoint, where is this defensive group right now? Hopefully in the weight room. <laughs> and if they can get like one of those medieval torture chambers where they pull you and they stretch you and they make you a couple inches taller and longer, that would help. Um, my observation in the spring was like, man, they're going to need to be using some young players at linebacker in the secondary. This guy's not very big. This guy's kind of light. He's not long. And and that's that's by and large true. Now, are they a are they a smallest in the Big 12? No, they're probably middle of the pack. But that's the problem that even West Virginia understood. They were light. They were small. They weren't strong. They weren't big enough last year on defense. But also – by some of their their if-then stuff on defense where if an offense shows this and the defense is going to do that, they were predictable. And they had some parts that you could pick on last year, and they did. One of their safeties had a really hard time in coverage, and you would see teams motion and formation into a mismatch that would expose that safety. And West Virginia's coaches have talked to me about that, saying that cannot happen again. We can't let that fly. So how do you do that? How do you make sure one of your safeties isn't in, as incapable in coverage? You make sure your safeties are pretty similar. And what they've done now, you know, they're 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 tinkering with one of their hybrid positions where maybe it's a Sam linebacker, but maybe it's like that extra hybrid nickel person too, right? So one, you don't have a guy who's a Sam who's having to chase slot receivers around if you're going to be a team that, for example, is going to throw multiple uh, receivers out at you for their personnel. But if it's a bigger team that likes to run the ball, you don't want a smallish nickel back in there. You want to have a Sam who can get in there on that strong side and contest the run. So I think some some versatility there through recruiting and development will help them. But also there are two deep safeties. I think you're going to see them be similarly skilled. It's not going to be like a, um, you know, a strong safety and a free safety. I think you're going to have like two cover safeties, let's say, you know, kind of guys who maybe have cornerback skills, but safety bodies. They can come in and play the run and not be one of those things where here comes a tight end into my neighborhood. He's going to block me and I'm going to be out of the screen. No, I'm going to stick my nose in there and, and I'm going to really fight this block and I'm going to make some tackles. or I'm going to come screaming downhill and get in the backfield. They didn't have that. Conversely, if they motion a, a running back out of the backfield of the slot, if they use a slot receiver from one side to the other, he's not going to run past that safety who can't cover. So they're going to find some ways to be a little bit more balanced in that defensive backfield right now. The trouble is all these plans sound great. They still have a lot of new and young people. They hit the transfer portal hard in the secondary. They have guys who played a lot of football at other places, haven't played here. Um, why are they here and not other places? That's a question that only they can answer. If not in words, then in deeds, maybe everybody missed. Maybe they want to close and be special at West Virginia. But 
green where they don't want to be when it comes to executing a plan like this? And then are they going to be big enough up front, um, defensive line especially, but maybe at those linebacker spots where they just don't get, you know, I'm trying to think of the word here, snowplowed maybe <laughs> on mm-hmm. on running games and things like that because they, they got outflanked and they got outmuscled a lot last year against the run. Offensively, uh, the quarterback position, where does that stand at this stage of the summer? And then, uh, you know, a weapon that I'd imagine West Virginia would like to get involved as soon as possible is a guy that created a lot of noise in their recruiting class, Rodney Gallagher. We're very familiar with him here. A lot of people thought he'd end up in a Penn State uniform. Instead, he's going to make his college debut, we assume, in Beaver Stadium with the road team. So, can you give some perspective on one, the offensive progression in 2023, and two, realistic expectations for Gallagher? Start with Gallagher. Um, the state of the basketball roster here and what happens with the head coaching change, if they can get him to play basketball, that might be a boon for everybody because they might need point guards the way things are going <laughs> right now here. Um, I think the expectation is he's going to be a day one guy. Will he start? I don't know, but he, he just has the gifts. And given the way things are today, just in college football, where you have vultures circling around a program that has a head coach in question like this one, um, you have – a culture of players transferring out, which has been West Virginia's problem. They don't win a whole lot. They haven't been very fun before. Turnover has been an issue for them. So that's going to increase the, the, the air traffic, I guess, with the vultures. So I think you have to play guys like Gallagher early and you might even have to cater to them to make sure they are happy. But by the way, he's good. He's worth catering to uh, quick. He can do the slot stuff. And I think they can stretch a few of them. I think they can get him bubbles and slants and things like that. They can make him a part of this. Um, how much? I don't know. They they kind of went heavy into receivers in the portal, and they're going to be a running team. They're going to have two running backs on the field a lot. If you try to add to 11, you have five offensive linemen, one quarterback, two running backs. Um, I'm just a journalist, but that counts eight, right? You're going to need a tight end probably to block for two running backs. There's nine. Now you got to have just two receivers. Is Gallagher that good? We'll see. Can he be a third receiver if they don't have a tight end that have just one running back? It's up to him and his play, but I think they'll call plays for him. And then offensively, just they 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 just have a stable of running backs, and it could be C.J. Donaldson, it could be Jalen Anderson. Uh, one guy's coming back from an injury. One guy had a really good game at the end of the season. Um, C.J. Donaldson looked like he was going to be one of the best freshmen in the country last year. Really scary injury, concussion against Texas, and then had a season-ending leg injury. He's back ahead of schedule and is a legitimate like running back guy. I mean, he, he's a guy who was a tight end, and they said this guy's way too big and way too good for tight end. Let's put him here at um, running back. And he's great. And Jalen Anderson kind of erupted late last season. I think that's going to be a, a good thing for them. They cleared out some room when Tony Mathis transferred to Houston. Seems to be popular, right? And then they have Justin Johnson, who's been in the program for a couple of years. They also really like two of their freshmen. Um, the guy that may be familiar to the audience here, Jaheim White from York, Pennsylvania. Um, he's kind of a cool story. He kind of had a viral recruiting camp video. Um, and then he got a scholarship offer out of that because he was so good when he was here. But they also have a kind of a sleeper, a kid from a small, sleepy town in Florida named DJ Oliver. He's like 6'2", 240, but he runs fast. He's a sprinter. He does hurdles and stuff like that. Um, just didn't do the recruiting stuff in, in, in like as passion as everybody else did. And West Virginia found him and got him. So they have a way to get five guys into a game somehow. Will it be? I don't know. But big guys, little guys, veterans, newcomers, inside guys, outside guys, they're going to be committed to this because of the personnel and the plan but I think that their, their idea is they'll be successful at it too. And if they can get some RPO stuff, some read option stuff, now you bring Garrett Green, the quarterback in. He's going to be your starter, I think, just based on the spring performances. Um, if not, a four-star Nico Marchio, who was one of the more coveted freshmen quarterbacks. That, that wasn't like a top flight, I'm going to Alabama, I'm going to USC guys. 
um, attainable for a number of schools. West Virginia got him, which was kind of a surprise. Um, sooner or later, it's going to be him. And I think it's going to be a pretty competitive situation in the fall. But just with Garrett Green's experience, the path that he can run and he can handle some of the, the run game stuff, I think he would get it. Marky is not a statue. He can move, he can run. It's just that he's a little bit behind Green right now. And I think it'd be hard for him to make up that gap. There's a couple other recognizable names for our listening audience. I wanted to ask you while you were here. Uh, Fatorma Mulba, defensive tackle, made the move down. He's a Pennsylvania native, spent a few seasons here, wrapped up his career in the Rose Bowl, hit the portal. He's at West Virginia. And then the other is Lance Dixon. I know he's been around there for a few years now, but he's a former five-star in 24-7 sports rankings. It felt like he was here and gone, played in, what, three or four games maybe. Uh, can you give us the update on what Lance Dixon has done down in Morgantown and additionally what the uh, outlook is for Mulba in year one? Yeah, Dixon's been here a while and is, is really intrigued because of his gifts. I mean, he's a five-star, not by reputation, but by ability and potential for sure. Um, he can play, and when he's been healthy and he's been on the field, he's been really good. The trouble has been being healthy and being on the field. Um, and he's also hasn't been the best player at times, but I think he's been miscast in the way they play defense. They had him as a will linebacker. I think a lot of people thought that he projected maybe be a Mike or an inside linebacker because he would grow – um, he obviously has the size to do that just when you talk about height and length. Could he get big enough, strong enough to do it? But they made him a will, which is your weak side guy, and you're going to be running through traffic and not really banging into people to make plays. And just didn't work out well for him. So now they have him playing spear, which is, again, we're talking about hybrid things here, and it's kind of a weird thing, but I think it's going to encapsulate some linebacker and some safety for him. He can really run. Um, you know, foot race wise, I think he's going to be a competitor for one of the faster guys in the team, which again, when you look at his measurables, that might be surprising, but he can really go. And if he's a guy that they could play in a linebacker spot and he can get out and cover people or he can get to the sideline, that's effective. But if he can also be like that hybrid defensive back who can run with people and then use that linebacker potential to play the run, you know, that's an important position for them that kind of, um, kind of becomes like a, a, barricade outside that tries to keep the run from bouncing out there and pushes things back in. They just build a lot of stuff off that. And if they're using him, that's promising for what they think he's capable of this season. Moba is very intriguing to me. Um, again, a good reputation there. Just not a lot of stats and experience at Penn State. Maybe I should ask you why that is, except that a lot of traffic in front of him, right? But yeah. walking in here, he's going to be one of the biggest, strongest dudes they have, which is kind of impressive, but also um, necessary. They, they, they were young. They were injured last year. They had some people who were maybe in different spots or in spots that they were not yet ready for. Here's a more physically and I would say um, developmentally mature guy because he's been in the program for a couple of years. And, and again, you can vouch this. He's a big, strong guy who can play in the trenches there. They're going to need never, that. Awesome. Never been a problem for him. Uh, he was one of the strongest guys on this roster when he was here. Never yeah, been an issue. Yeah. They, they just need people mover and they need people that won't be moved. And that's a guy who can just kind of blow some things up in the middle, but also not be dispatched so easily and open up the middle for anything in the run game. It's a huge thing for them. Um, the question is, you know, why didn't they click at Penn State? And are those, if it's not traffic in front of him and talent, if it's performance or development or practice habits or who knows, is that going to be clear now? Because is that going to be out of the way? Can he actually apply himself and then rise in advance here? Because again, there, there's absolutely a need for what he could deliver. Let's finish by putting the spotlight on September 2nd, uh, season opener for both these squads. And and I know the, the the plan for a primetime matchup on NBC was met with open arms around here. People are fired up about that. Neil Brown, there's nowhere to hide when you're on the hot seat, but there's certainly nowhere to hide when you're in this kind of a setting week one. It's a game that's going to be yeah. built up quite a bit by a national uh, for a national audience leading up to it. 
What was the, I guess, uh, reaction to it landing in, in that kind of a time slot and that kind of a setting? And what's your early outlook about this showdown? You know what's sad, Tyler? Um, this should be something that you throw a parade for in the offseason. It really should be. Like these are these are teams that played every year for how long? And it, it was very one-sided, but I think one of the best moments in, in program history for West Virginia is when they won, they ended the streak and they went on, they had an undefeated season. So like there's there's value in, in winning the game, obviously, but there's value in playing the game, especially nowadays when because of the way conferences are aligned. Like what the heck is West Virginia doing in the Big 12? Still, right? But you don't have these opportunities. And to have this lined up and then all everything you just talked about, like prime time, you're the you're the marquee game at that spot. But also it's the first Big Ten game. Penn State's going to be what? Top 10, maybe top five team in the preseason there. Um, you just be looking forward to this all year, like all summer. Like this should be a thing. And for the players, I'm sure it's the carrot that gets them through workouts and all the stuff that's kind of mundane in the summer. But for fans, I, I, I can just tell you this, like the obsession here right now is college basketball and what's going to happen with the recruiting class and the transfer portal, that was before all the Bob Bug and stuff happened. There was kind of wow. that oh, football. Uh, we'll get to that when it comes. Right. Because it's been so negative for so long. And I think people are just kind of aware that, you know, that, that, that bully is coming back on the block, except that you're going to their neighborhood on this one here and you're not expected to win. So I think a lot of people chalk us up as to own one and also the rest of their September is brutal. So they're going to play Penn state. They're going to be maybe three touchdown underdogs. They get an FCS team after that. And then it's Pitt, Texas Tech, and TCU. And you just wonder if and how this team is going to get through it. Is the coach going to survive it? What is the mood going to be like? How is the team going to be entering October? Um, and it just starts with that game. I think a lot of people just are are dreading or just maybe not looking forward to the season at large, but it has to start somewhere. And it just strikes me as unfortunate that this should be something that everybody is kind of gung-ho about because it is so infrequent. It's been so long. It has meant so much. And to reboot, it should be something you you kind of really anticipate and, and can't wait to arrive. And I just sense the opposite right now. Like it's coming. It's maybe even a formality to some people. And um, just to me, it feels like a, an occasion that's squandered, unfortunately. Well, Mike, hopefully we can catch up with you again in about 10 weeks when we're really coming up to this matchup and uh, get the chance to see you in the press box at Beaver Stadium that Saturday if you're able to make the trip and, and cover that one. So appreciate the perspective here. I think we all learned a lot about West Virginia and certainly have a good feeling about what's going on on the ground there in Morgantown now. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate the invitation. I'd be happy to do it again. Talk to you soon. Take care. Uh, great stuff. Uh, always great to tap into our 24-7 Sports Network as we do during the season, week by week, previewing games. We try to do it here in the summer as well. We looked ahead to the Michigan State Black Friday matchup uh, just a few weeks ago, and, and now we do the same with West Virginia, which will, again, be billed as one of those marquee games of the first week of the college football season occurring right here in Happy Valley. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. There is just so much happening at Lions247.com right now that we can't possibly pack into this podcast unless we want to go three hours every time and just don't have the time or resources to do that. So you got to check out Lions247.com. 50% off deal ongoing through June 29th. Get in as a VIP subscriber. We're at an all-time high with VIP subscribers right now at the site. Find out why by joining at Lions247.com. Big thanks to Tyler Calvaru so earlier for breaking down the latest in Nittany Lions recruiting. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What are the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? 
and new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.